Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our first class of a four-part series where we're going to be learning loving-kindness meditation. I'm going to be sharing this style of meditation with you, but before I do, I'm going to share what is the problem in the unenlightened mind and why we're even doing loving-kindness meditation. This is so important as part of your journey to enlightenment that you don't just blindly do things that a teacher says and that you don't just blindly practice what it is that the teacher is actually sharing with you, but instead you understand the why. So we're going to be talking about why are we actually doing loving kindness meditation? What is it antidoting? What is it resolving? And then we're going to actually talk about how to do loving kindness meditation. So I'd like to welcome you to this four-part series where we're continuing in our group learning program over the next four Wednesdays. I'll be sharing with you loving kindness meditation and helping you build up your practice so that you can antidote the challenges in the mind that are keeping it in the unenlightened state. As we go in our class, you're welcome to ask questions. The way that you do that is in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Just put your questions in the comment section and our moderators will see that and be sure your questions get asked during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions that you have that way. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you've been with us throughout this group learning program or you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. Very pleased that you're here. Let's go ahead and get started with studying the content that I plan to share with you today. In order to talk about loving kindness meditation, let's first just kind of recap just a brief little bit about what we taught over the last four Wednesdays, which is breathing mindfulness meditation. So far in this program, we've been primarily talking about craving desire attachment because craving desire attachment is the cause of discontentedness. This is what creates those pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. Craving desire attachment is the mental longing with a strong eagerness. This is where the mind is pulling in the direction of the objects of its affection. It's craving permanence. It has certain wants, certain expectations. It's longing or yearning for something. And when it gets the objects of its affection, it gets pleasant feelings. And then if it doesn't get what it wants, it experiences painful feelings. And then it will oftentimes even experience feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. This is how the unenlightened mind functions because of this condition of craving, desire, attachments, wants, expectations, 
grasping, holding, clinging. These are all words that we use to describe this aspect of the mind where it's longing for something and trying to pull that thing towards it. So if it gets a new pair of shoes, it gets happy, excited. But then when the new pair of shoes get stolen or they get damaged or they get old, then the mind's sad or angry or frustrated because the unenlightened mind is basing its inner feelings on some impermanent condition. And that's why it experienced these, these pleasant feelings, these painful feelings, and these feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. Well, there's a specific meditation and other practices as well that we'll share in this group learning program that are meant to antidote this primary problem of craving in the unenlightened mind. Because craving leads to discontentedness, it also leads to rebirth, which is what we'll talk about much later in the program. Craving is a central primary problem in the unenlightened mind, and one of the things that keeps it stuck, experiencing this discontentedness in continuous cycles over and over and over. But as you gain the wisdom of what's happening in the mind and you see the truth, and you gain that wisdom, then you can start applying the remedy or the antidote to craving desire attachment so that you can eliminate it from the mind. One of the things that we use to eliminate craving desire attachment is breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath. By focusing on the breath, we cultivate mindfulness or awareness of mind, where the mind can then be observant and reside in the present moment with concentration, just focused on the breath, this singleness of mind. And by cultivating awareness of the mind and concentration, whenever the mind is off the breath, whether it's in the past or the future, having thoughts, ideas, perceptions, you can cut that off and let it go in meditation and come back to the breath. So over repeated sessions, you're developing more and more awareness of mind, you're developing more and more concentration, and you're developing the ability to more and more easily let go because that's what the mind is doing is it's holding on. It's holding on wanting things to be a certain way, and when things in your life aren't that way, that's why you experience the painful feelings. So training the mind to let go and accept and understand impermanence is part of what breathing mindfulness meditation is. So I discussed this over four sessions and I led you guys in building up your practice and there's, I'm sure, more work for you to do in that regard. Because what you would like to do is build up to two to three meditation sessions, about 30 minutes or more per session. That's what will lead to the elimination of craving desire attachment along with other things that I teach in this program. So that addresses the main problem of craving desire attachment that's causing this discontentedness. Well, if the mind gets what it wants through craving desire attachment, it experiences pleasant feelings. If it doesn't get what it wants, it experiences these painful feelings, this anger, this hatred, this ill will, frustration, irritation, annoyance, and other lesser versions of that, maybe even jealousy or resentment. And the antidote to this is loving kindness. So there's this second poison or this second unwholesome root or this second fire of anger, hatred, ill will, and lesser versions where the mind will tend to be hostile and aggressive. It will even push people away from you, 
thinking that they're the ones who are causing your anger, when in reality it's the craving, desire, attachment, not getting the objects of your affection, that you're causing your own anger. But because the unenlightened mind lacks the wisdom to understand what's happening, when this anger starts to arise, these painful feelings start to arise, the unenlightened mind falsely attributes that to a certain situation or to a certain person or to some relationship. And then you push people out of your life thinking that they're the ones who are actually causing the anger, when in reality, it's your own craving, desire, attachment. And this puts difficulties into your life where the mind struggles to have personal and professional relationships that are healthy and beneficial with opportunities for you to progress in life. If every time somebody makes you angry or frustrated, and that's the way the mind looks at it, is they are making you angry and you push people out of your life, then the number of people that you can actually have in your life is going to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle to be very, very small. In fact, a lot of people who are on this path to enlightenment tend to have a very small circle of people around them because they've gotten to such a point where they've pushed so many people out of their lives, it makes it very difficult to actually interact with other people because the mind just doesn't understand how to do that yet. But then as you awaken into enlightenment, you'll be able to start having personal and professional relationships fully understanding if you experience any painful feelings, those are coming from your own mind. But in order to progress, you need to eliminate this anger, this hatred, this ill will, because continuing to be hostile, aggressive, or angry at others isn't going to produce any beneficial results because that hostility, that aggression, that anger is all coming from your own mind. It's the pollution. It's the taint. It's the fetter of ill will that's actually causing this in the mind. So by focusing on the real problem and uprooting the anger, hatred, and ill will, then the mind can be liberated from these feelings of anger, hatred, and ill will, and all the other lesser versions. The way that we do that is we cultivate loving kindness for all beings. We'll talk about what loving kindness is in a moment. Loving kindness for all beings in practicing this in meditation over repeated sessions, you cultivate this in meditation and then you practice it in daily life. A cultivation of loving kindness is done through the meditation, through this active, dedicated, purposeful training session that you integrate into your breathing mindfulness meditation. So if you've been working on your breathing mindfulness meditation and you're working on building up to two or three sessions a day, then you can insert into that the loving kindness meditation. So maybe one session you do breathing mindfulness meditation, one session you do breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation together still about 30 minutes or so total, but you have these two sessions that you're doing on a daily basis and maybe a third, either breathing mindfulness or breathing mindfulness and loving kindness. Gradually, as you build up your meditation practice and you cultivate this loving kindness in the mind, then in daily life, you start practicing loving kindness through your interactions with other beings. Let's talk about what loving kindness is. Loving kindness, or the Pali word that you'll see used most frequently, is metta. 
What loving kindness is, is it's an active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. It's a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And this really starts with you because you are a being as well. One of the things that we're often taught in life is that we should sacrifice ourselves for others or that we should kind of service everyone else. And oftentimes people forget about their own well-being and their own interest in seeing their own self be peaceful and be well. This leaves somebody feeling depleted and empty inside because you can't continue to service everybody else, attending to everyone else's needs if you're not attending to your own needs. So when you see where I teach about loving kindness meditation, we're actually going to start with cultivating loving kindness for yourself, this this being that we call David or Chrissy or Manal or Holly or Judith or Nick or uh, Mercia. These are the individuals that we're going to start with. So if you are Zach, for example, you will start with Zach and then you will move out beyond that and cultivate loving kindness for larger and larger rings of people. So the cultivation of loving kindness during meditation is going to be to cultivate loving kindness for yourself. And then ultimately we're going to move to all beings as we move through this meditation. But then you can't just stay with cultivating loving kindness and meditation, you've got to actually practice it in daily life. That is what's going to ultimately eliminate any of the hostility or aggression or anger in your relationships where you can cultivate loving kindness and meditation and then practice through your intentions, your speech, your actions, being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings. And this is going to help you to have healthy, positive interactions with all people. You'll see loving kindness when we talk about the four healthy mental states, the Brahma Viharas in chapter 14. You also see us talk about it when we're in chapter eight. When we're in chapter eight, we're gonna be talking about the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires. Well, one of those poisons or unwholesome roots or fires is anger. And this is a defilement. This is a taint. This is a pollution of mind. This is a fetter, like a ball and chain that keeps you in the unenlightened state. As long as there's anger, hatred, and ill will in the mind, it won't experience enlightenment. So the antidote to this poison or this unwholesome root or this fire of anger is loving kindness. It's the wholesome root. It's the remedy that transforms anger, hatred, and ill will. It's not a magic bullet. You're not going to snap your fingers in one meditation session and instantly eradicate anger, hatred, and ill will. That's not the way any of this works. It's a gradual process of many months and years of cultivating loving kindness and meditation and then learning how to practice that in daily life. So once you eliminate this fetter of ill will, this taint, this pollution, it eliminates the harshness, the bitterness, the hostility, the resentment in the mind that you might have for other beings or other groups of individuals or different situations that have occurred. As you've aged over the years, there's been certain situations and certain encounters that you've had, certain relationships that you've had that has conditioned the mind to be harsh, 
and to be bitter and to be hostile, to have resentment, to have aggression towards people. And these different situations that have occurred have conditioned the mind to be this way. And what you're doing with loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life is you're reversing this conditioning. You're eliminating this conditioning. You're purifying the mind of this fetter taint pollution of mind, this defilement of ill will, and you're eradicating that from the mind so that the mind is essentially cleaned up. And instead of ill will, it can practice loving kindness, which is the exact opposite of this fetter or taint or pollution of mind, this defilement of ill will. And as I mentioned, you'll see this in chapter 14 when we get there and we talk about the four healthy mental states that need to be cultivated in order to attain enlightenment. But let me pause here and see what questions you guys have so far with this introduction to what we're going to be doing in this four-part series. The way you ask questions is put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will ask those questions for you, or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom, and our moderators will call on you and be sure that you get a chance to ask your question or follow-up question. Hello, sir. As for the uh, provided definition for loving kindness, you said that it's an active goodwill. So is it just having the, the compassion in the mind, or one needs to go out and practice loving kindness towards all people? You need to go out and actively practice loving kindness with all people. You can't just meditate this stuff away. You can't sit on a meditation cushion or do any other style of meditation and then go out in the world and be harsh and aggressive with people because whatever you put out is going to come back to you. So the meditation is to train the mind and start working on transforming the mind, but then you actually have to go out into the world and start practicing the teachings of loving kindness through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. So that's why I call it active goodwill. It's not just a passive thing that you cultivate at home and then when you go outside, you start acting in harsh and aggressive ways, but instead it's an active goodwill. And it's also important to make sure you understand the difference between loving kindness and compassion. They're two different things. Where loving kindness is an active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, where you have this genuine interest in seeing others be well, compassion is a concern for the misfortune of others. And we'll talk about compassion more and what that antidotes, because there's certain aspects of the mind that are defiled or unwholesome qualities of mind that compassion will antidote as well. And we'll talk about that in chapter 14. Yes, thank you. No more questions for now. Okay, so as you guys know, whenever I'm teaching, I always like to make sure that I'm connecting what I share with you to the Buddhist teachings so that you don't have to believe me that what I'm sharing is what the Buddha actually taught. And then even when you see it in the Buddha's words, you don't actually believe that either, but you go out and practice it. So here I've got a few things where I can show you where loving kindness actually connects into the Eightfold Path. Because remember, the Eightfold Path is the path to enlightenment. By learning, reflecting, and practicing the Eightfold Path, that is what's ultimately going to move the mind to enlightenment. And then other teachings actually plug into the Eightfold Path being that central core teaching of the Buddha. So here I would like to show you where loving kindness plugs into right intention. 
Because if you remember from our overview that I did in a three-part series, we talked about right intention as being the intention of renunciation, which is letting go, the intention of non-ill will, which non-ill will is essentially the same thing as goodwill, right? Because there's non-ill, those are two negatives, equal a positive. So non-ill will is the intention of goodwill, the intention of harmlessness, not being interested in harming other beings, having a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well and be peaceful. So right intention or right thinking or right thought is really important as part of this path to enlightenment and cultivating that in the mind through meditation is really important to establish right intention as part of this path to enlightenment. Then if you remember right speech, we talked about the five factors of well-spoken speech. The first factor is speaking at the right time. What you say is true. Speak gently. Speak beneficially. And then the fifth factor is what is spoken is spoken with a mind of loving kindness. The Buddha put that in there as part of right speech to ensure that you understand that all five factors need to be practiced in order to practice right speech. And the reason why we call it right speech is because it's righteous speech. It's speech that won't cause harm. It's speech that when you practice it, it will result in wholesome outcomes. So if we practice all five factors, we're practicing in a way that doesn't cause harm. Therefore, there's going to be wholesome results. But if we practice only four or three or two or one of the factors, then our speech isn't fully purified. We need to be practicing in a way where we bring our speech up closer and closer to using all five factors all the time. And of course, you're not going to be able to snap your fingers and do that in every single relationship. It takes time for you to build that practice. And where there's craving, desire, attachment in relationships, it becomes much harder for you to practice right speech. So that's why working with breathing mindfulness meditation and drawing that down and starting to eliminate craving, desire, attachment will actually make it easier for you to practice something like right speech. And by practicing loving kindness meditation, that will also help you practice right speech because you'll have a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, and you'll be interested in practicing in a way that is has this active goodwill. And that's part of right speech. It really encapsulates everything in terms of right speech. There's other places where the Buddha talks about loving kindness. Multiple places in his teachings, he talks about it. Here's just one other place where he's talking about loving kindness in his teachings. Here he says, herein monks, you should train thus. So he's explaining, you know, how to train the mind. Our minds will remain unaffected and we shall utter no evil words. We shall reside compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness without inner hate. We shall reside enveloping that person with a mind filled with loving kindness. And starting with him, we shall reside enveloping the all-encompassing world with a mind filled with loving kindness, abundant, joyful, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. This is how you should train monks. The Buddha was actually delivering this teaching 
in relationship to the five factors of well-spoken speech. When he taught the five factors of well-spoken speech, he sometimes taught them just as the five factors, but then sometimes he taught the five factors of well-spoken speech, and then he talked about the opposites. And he said to his students that you should speak with the five factors of well-spoken speech, but there's going to be times in your life where people speak at the wrong time, where people speak with lies, where people speak harshly, where people speak unbeneficially, and people speak with a mind of inner hate and hostility. And he's delivered this teaching as a result. And he said, when people speak, essentially what he was saying is when people speak with wrong speech, that our minds should remain unaffected. We shall utter no evil words, even when they're using wrong speech. We should utter no evil words. We need to have the discipline and train our mind that even when others are speaking harshly and aggressively with inner hate, we shouldn't have any evil words. We should restrain the mind. We shall reside compassionate for that person's welfare. Because if someone's being aggressive and hostile and angry with you, you should have concern for their misfortune because their words are hurting them. With a mind of loving kindness, right? This is the important part is that when we're cultivating loving kindness, when we see somebody who lacks discipline and lacks control of their mind, they're spewing all kinds of hate towards you or other people. We should have compassion for that person. doesn't mean we agree with their speech. It just means that we understand that they're lacking wisdom, they're lacking moral conduct, and they're lacking mental discipline. We should have no inner hate. That's where the Buddha says without inner hate. And then he says we should reside enveloping, you know, kind of surrounding this person with a mind filled with loving kindness. And starting with that one person who has all this hatred and speaking so aggressively, we shall reside enveloping the all-encompassing world, essentially every being in the entire world, with a mind filled with loving kindness, abundant, kind of permeating in the mind, right? This loving kindness should be filling the mind and permeating the mind. That's what we do in meditation. And then we further cultivate that outside. The mind can be joyful when it's experiencing this permeating loving kindness. When the mind is filled with loving kindness, it can be joyful. When the mind is defiled, it's weighed down with this hatred, this ill will, this anger. It can't experience joyfulness because it feels this anger, this hatred, this ill will towards others. The Buddha calls it immeasurable, meaning you can't measure the amount of abundant loving kindness that is in the mind of an enlightened being. It's immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. This is how you should train monks. So this is the ideal, right? I talk about the Buddhist teaching sometimes like a ceiling, and you're working your way up to that ceiling and trying to get closer and closer to that over time. I brought in some additional teachings from the Buddha on loving kindness meditation specifically. There's like I mentioned, multiple places where he talks about loving kindness and loving kindness meditation. But here are just a few so that you know that what I'm teaching you is directly connected to the Buddhist teachings 
It's directly connected to the path to enlightenment. You can have confidence that what I'm teaching you is the path to enlightenment, but then you don't believe what I say and you don't believe what the Buddha says. You go out and practice it and see the truth for yourself. Here, this first one, the Buddha says to his son, Rahula. It's very clear. It's very straightforward. Rahula, develop meditation on loving kindness. For when you develop meditation on loving kindness, any ill will will be abandoned. If you remember those 10 fetters, the fifth fetter is ill will. The 10 fetters are what keeps the mind in the unenlightened state. This is the taints, the pollution, the defilements. By practicing loving kindness meditation, developing that and cultivating it in the mind, the Buddha says right here very clearly in one sentence that all ill will will be abandoned. And I can assure you that that's the case. Then he says loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. So this is developing it in meditation and then also developing it outside of meditation through things like our intentions, our speech, and our actions. And then here is a little bit more detail. He shares, but what friends is the reason unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned? You should answer the liberation of mind by loving kindness. For one who attends carefully to the liberation of mind by loving kindness, unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned. This, friends, is the reason unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned. So he's talking about any anger that has arisen in the mind. You can eliminate that through loving kindness. And if there's anger that's kind of like in the corners and kind of hasn't arisen and you just kind of feel kind of resentment towards certain people, maybe it's people that you haven't seen for five years from now or 10 years ago. You haven't seen them since that time. As long as your mind harbors that anger, it's only hurting you. It's not hurting anyone else. It's only hurting you. That's that conditioning of mind that the mind's holding on to. So loving kindness meditation is uprooting that, this unarisen anger that's being harbored in the mind. Loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness is what's going to uproot that and get rid of that unarisen anger. And this is where the Buddha says the liberation of mind. Liberation is freedom, freedom from these strong feelings. As long as the mind is experiencing these strong feelings of hate, anger, and ill will, it's not liberated. It's defiled. It's going to constantly experience those feelings over and over. So it's loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness that's going to transform that and liberate the mind from these strong feelings. You'll experience this freedom over time that you won't have these strong feelings of anger, hatred, ill will, frustration, irritation, annoyance, jealousy, resentment, all of these unfortunate, unwelcomed feelings that are arising in the mind in the unenlightened state, you can transform all of that through loving kindness. Let me see if there's any questions you guys have on the Buddha's words before we actually talk about doing loving kindness meditation and how to actually do it. Yes, teacher. We have some questions on Facebook, so let's submit to Manam. 
Yes, teacher David, we have a question from Adrian. Um, the question is, does grief or sadness fall under this? Sadness is a painful feeling and that can arise as well. You can eliminate sadness through this. Grief, it depends, you know, there can be grief from a loss of a loved one and loving kindness can certainly help with that, but it's also breathing mindfulness meditation that will really help eliminate grief. Those are all the questions from Facebook. Okay, thanks Manal. Well, so does this mean that all anger could be eliminated by practicing loving kindness? Can one attain the mental state that there is no anger at all? Yes. So an enlightened being is not going to have any anger whatsoever in the mind. They'll never experience any more anger for the rest of their life as long as they've experienced enlightenment. But you wouldn't be able to eliminate anger with only loving kindness meditation. There's this whole entire comprehensive discipline that the Buddha taught as this path to enlightenment. So if somebody was only doing loving kindness meditation, they'll have a diminishing of anger, but they won't eliminate it entirely because the whole reason why anger is arising is because of craving desire attachment. That's why we teach that first, because that's the actual cause of the anger arising to begin with. If it wasn't for craving desire and attachment, then anger wouldn't actually arise. So that's why we start with breathing mindfulness meditation and the Four Noble Truths and understanding everything else that we've talked about so far in this program, start building you up with that. Then we add on this loving kindness meditation because that's what's ultimately going to transform any ill will that's currently in the mind. And if you remember when we talked about mental objects as part of mindfulness or right mindfulness, ill will is one of those mental objects that the mind is harboring. This unenlightened mind is harboring this mental object of ill will, and that needs to be uprooted and transformed, purified and eliminated from the mind so that you can replace it with this loving kindness. And it's the meditation and practicing it outside of meditation where you're practicing through your intention, speech, and actions that ultimately uproot it. So it's an important part of your practice, but there's these other important parts as well. Between breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, these are the two primary styles of meditation that the Buddha actually taught. Every single human being who's interested in attaining enlightenment through the Buddhist teachings would need to practice breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. These are the two. And there's two others that are kind of secondary or kind of specialized meditations that not everybody will need, but some people will. One of the things that the mind experiences as part of its craving, desire, attachment, when it gets on this path to enlightenment, is oftentimes the mind is has these objects of its affection, not just new shoes, a new purse, a new car, a new job, all these other things that the mind wants to chase after. But oftentimes when the mind gets on this path to enlightenment, it feels like it has to chase after more and more teachings on the path to enlightenment. There's some people who are looking for one more meditation and one more meditation and one more meditation, one more meditation. And they feel like that's what's going to ultimately lead to enlightenment. There's some people who learn and practice 20, 30, 50 different meditations 
different types of meditations. But the Buddha himself, the person who discovered the path to enlightenment, the originator of this path, the declarer of this path, the person who discovered it, he only taught two primary styles of meditation because they're addressing two of the three problems that are in the unenlightened mind. The primary problems are craving, anger, and ignorance, or the unknowing of true reality. And then that goes down deeper into the 10 fetters. So that's why you only actually need two styles of meditation to ever attain enlightenment. And by focusing on just these two styles of meditation, rather than trying to be very broad and diverse, having 20, 30, 50 different types of meditation that you might try to keep accumulating more and more, instead you can just focus on these two, get really, really good at them, develop them really, really good, get really deep in your practice of each style of meditation, and then you'll produce the results of completely uprooting craving, desire, attachment, completely uprooting anger, hatred, and ill will because you're focusing like a laser on the problems that are really being encountered in the mind, which is craving, anger, and then this ignorance or unknowing of true reality is transformed by wisdom. You're addressing that through learning in these classes, through learning on the podcast, through watching videos, through reading the books, through asking questions, through scheduling one-on-one personal discussions, through perhaps attending retreats that I teach or coming to Thailand and learning one-on-one. There's all these different options for you to learn and gain this wisdom to understand what is actually going to antidote and transform the mind from this unenlightened state to this enlightened state. So I share this as a way to help you not get caught in that trap where the mind is not just craving, but it's even craving multiple types of meditations. When you realize that the Buddha only taught these two primary styles of meditation, the breathing mindfulness and loving kindness meditation, then you can focus like a laser just on these two and get really, really good, get really proficient with them. That way you'll see the most benefits. Rick has a question. It says, do you recommend doing both in one session? for each in different sessions. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about next. You're going to be learning how to do both in one session. You can do just breathing mindfulness meditation as a standalone session, and you're going to need to do that sometimes. Then whenever you do loving kindness meditation, the way that I teach it is you start out first with about five, 10 minutes of breathing mindfulness meditation. Then you move into loving kindness meditation. Then you do a little bit of breathing mindfulness meditation on the backside, maybe another five or 10 minutes, and then you come out of your meditation. So if you do loving kindness meditation, I suggest you preface that with some breathing mindfulness and you end it with some breathing mindfulness because the loving kindness meditation, as you see the way we do it, is we're going to be doing affirmations in the mind. And it's really helpful to kind of clear out the mind and focus it on the breath with breathing mindfulness meditation as you lean into and you go into loving kindness meditation. Then you do this work with loving kindness meditation. And there are some occasions where when you first start with this, that you might actually have anger arise in the mind as part of your loving kindness meditation. And that's why we then do some breathing mindfulness on the backside to kind of clear out 
the mind if there's any anger that's arisen. Because if you think of this ill will as these mental objects that are deeply rooted in the mind, when you start doing loving kindness meditation, you're kind of like, it's almost like touching a wound. In some cases, it can be like ripping off a scab. And if you've got relationships or situations that happened to you in the past, and you're trying to uproot that ill will or that hostility that you harbor for situations and people in the past, you're kind of ripping that scab off and that anger, that hostility might arise during meditation. And that's why we do breathing mindfulness meditation on the backside to kind of clear that out of the mind so that you can emerge from the meditation without having any kind of anger or hostility. Well, wild loving kindness, loving kindness is a wholesome mental state that a practitioner needs to uh, develop. Uh, on the other side, there is craving to help others. So how can one differentiate between these two mental states? Right, so when you're practicing loving kindness, it's not about helping other people. It's not about going out of your way to do things for other people. As you see in our loving kindness meditation, it's not a prayer. It's not wishing that other people are more loving or kind. It's actually cultivating in your mind this active goodwill, this genuine interest in seeing others be well. You can have an interest and a goal and objective to be helpful to other people. But if you crave it, if you desire it, that's where the mind's holding on to it too tight and it's going to cause discontentedness. So you need to find that middle, even with something like loving kindness. This is why there's no such thing as a wholesome craving desire attachment. All craving desire attachment is going to lead to discontentedness. So if somebody craves to practice loving kindness, if they have a desire to practice loving kindness, they're holding it too tight and they're going to experience discontentedness. But also, if they were kind of like hateful or resentful or irritated around other beings, that's not going to produce enlightenment either. So you need to find this middle where you cultivate loving kindness. You have a genuine interest in seeing others be well, and you practice that in situations where you're able to practice that. But you don't hold it real tight, and you also don't hold it real loose either. You kind of support it in the middle. That's what it means to walk the middle way, is not to hold anything real tight, including things like loving kindness, because it's just going to lead to discontentedness at some point. Thank you, teacher. These are all the questions we have for now. Okay, so, so let's talk about what we actually do in order to practice loving kindness meditation. So just like we've been doing before, where I start off with a chant, and we talked about chanting a little bit on Sunday, even though we haven't got to that part of our program, I kind of shared with you that it's not a rite, it's not a ritual, it's not ceremony, it's not a worship. It's actually been used for a long time just to remember the teachings from generation to generation. Today, we can use it to cultivate mindfulness, to cultivate concentration, to develop our memory, to kind of ease the mind into meditation, becoming more aware of our breath. And I'm going to teach you that starting in a four-part series next month. So you'll see that what we do is we set up the body in the same way as breathing mindfulness meditation. And I taught that in the previous four-part series. 
Then we do chanting, and you'll hear me talk that that's optional. It's not required, but I do it as part of our classes so that you can understand that, and I do it as part of my private practice. Then after the chanting, I will guide you guys in breathing mindfulness meditation. I will do like I've done before to kind of establish the breath, establish awareness of the mind on the breath, and then there'll be a period of five or 10 minutes or so where everything will just be quiet and you're focused on the breath. Anytime the mind wanders off the breath, you cut it off and bring it back to the breath. If it goes to the past, to the future, if there's thoughts, ideas, or perceptions that come into the mind, you just cut all of that off and bring it back to the breath. You haven't done anything wrong when the mind does that. That's what the mind does is it goes in all these different directions and where you observe it with mindfulness, you cut it off, let it go and come back to the breath. So after we do that for five or 10 minutes and your mind is focused on the breath, you'll hear me start loving kindness meditation. And we start with these affirmations. May I be peaceful. And I'll say that on the out breath. Wherever you get to your next out breath, you say it in the mind. It's an affirmation that you say in the mind. If I wasn't leading meditation and I was just doing this in my private practice, you wouldn't hear me say anything. You wouldn't know that I was doing breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation because from the outside looking in, it's all the same. It's just somebody sitting there doing meditation. But in your mind, when you hear me say, may I be peaceful, that's an affirmation that you repeat in the mind on your out breath. May I be peaceful. And then I'll breathe in and then it'll be, may I be safe. And on your next out breath, wherever you get to that next out breath, because your timing isn't going to be the same as mine, wherever you get to that next out breath, you say, may I be safe. Then it's, may I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Essentially, you're saying in having this genuine interest in your peacefulness and well-being that you eliminate discontentedness. You're saying, you know, may I attain enlightenment, basically, is what that last statement is. Because in order to have loving kindness for others, you have to have loving kindness for yourself. It's kind of like, would a poverty-stricken person be able to teach others how to be wealthy with money? No, because they don't know how to attain wealth themselves. How would they be able to teach others to attain wealth? So how could you have loving kindness for others if you don't have loving kindness for yourself? So that's why we're starting with, may I be peaceful. And we're starting with I, that means you, right? That's the first four statements. Then we go to a ring a little bit wider than that. And here today with this very basic loving kindness meditation, we'll say, may we be peaceful. That means we, those of us that are meditating together, may we be peaceful, may we be safe, may we be well, may we be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Each time you get to an out breath, you repeat that in the mind. You're not trying to ask through prayer that may Bassam be peaceful. You're not asking him to be peaceful to you. That's not what the Buddha taught. There's no prayer in the Buddhist teachings. It doesn't mean you can't pray. It just means that that's not what we're doing here. We're not wishing 
for Basim to be peaceful, we're cultivating in our mind that when we interact with Basim, that we have a genuine interest in him being peaceful and him being safe, him being well and him being free of discontentedness. We're cultivating in our mind that those people who we're meditating with, that we have this genuine interest in seeing them be peaceful, be safe, be well and free of discontentedness. Because when we change our mind, that changes our intentions, our speech and our actions gradually over time. And now we start interacting with people differently in the world. And because we're putting out this loving kindness, then more and more that's what will come back to us. So we're not creating these affirmations and these rings wishing for somebody else to be peaceful to us. Instead, we're cultivating in our mind that we have this genuine interest in seeing others be well so that when we interact with them, our intentions, speech, and actions will come from a place of loving kindness. They will emanate from this place of loving kindness. And then today with this more simplified version of loving kindness meditation, we'll go to this third ring of may all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. May all beings be well. May all beings be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. So we're just going to do three rings today as a real simplified version of loving kindness meditation. And then on the backside of loving kindness meditation, I will guide you guys back into breathing mindfulness meditation. And then at some point, I will do a chant to end the meditation and we'll open things up for questions again. So this meditation that I'm sharing with you guys, it's based on building these rings. Here you see I'm just doing three individual rings just to get you guys started. You can do this for the next week if you like. But ultimately what you would like to get to is you would like to customize this meditation for you and for your purposes and your needs. Any beings or any people that you have hatred or ill will towards, you would like them to show up in your meditation. So you might start with, may I be peaceful, may I be safe, may I be well, free of discontentedness and so forth. You might say, may we, if you're meditating by yourself, maybe you're thinking about we, meaning your immediate family members. And then you might go to, may my coworkers, or may my friends, or may those who live in my neighborhood, or any other successive rings that you would like to create. May those who I find challenging. You may even have one specific person. May Barbara be peaceful. If you're having a lot of trouble with Barbara at work, or you're having a lot of challenges with a certain family member, like your mom or your dad or somebody like this, you might need to hone in on that person and include them in your loving kindness meditation. But ultimately, when you create these successive rings, and there might be six or eight different rings that you create in your meditation, ultimately, you would like to get to the final ring where it's may all beings be peaceful. And you've encapsulated everybody. That's that all-encompassing world that the Buddha talked about, that there's no one that you leave out in your loving kindness meditation. Now, when you do these meditations, you're not going to see like 
instant results. That's not how any of this works. It's not like taking a pill and within 30 minutes, your headache's gone, right? You're not going to be meditating with these three rings and then 30 minutes later, all your hatred is out of the mind. All your anger is gone out of the mind. It's kind of like slowly chipping away at it. And those mental objects, particularly ill will, is a real challenging one to uproot. And it takes a long time to do this. For example, I've often talked in previous programs how when I first started on this path, I had a lot of anger towards my mother. And it took me probably six months to a year just to uproot that anger that I had towards my mother for things that happened when I was a child. So don't feel like you're going to do this and then a week or two or three, you're going to see this miraculous change in the mind. But slowly what you'll see, if you dedicate time, effort, and energy to this practice, you'll see that the mind slowly erodes this anger, this hatred, this ill will, and you'll start practicing in a way around people in a more loving and kind way. So before we start our meditation, let me just pause one more time to see if you guys have any questions of what we're going to be doing during meditation. Just put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will ask those questions, or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom. Well, someone may think that uh, these affirmations, which are, may I be peaceful, may I be well, is a kind of selfish desire. Do you agree with this? I don't agree with that, because in order for you to have loving kindness for others, you have to cultivate it for yourself. We're not talking about a conceited-based love. We're not talking about you know, arrogance or pride for yourself. We're talking about making sure you're whole before you can also have loving kindness for others. There are some people in the world that have a lot of hatred towards their self. There's a lot of negative self-talk in the mind. And as long as that's in there, it's really hard to have loving kindness for others. So if you find yourself having a lot of negative self-talk or hatred directed towards your own self, then what you might decide to do for a month or two or three, however long it takes, is you might just do, may I be peaceful, may I be safe, may I be well, may I be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. And then at the end of that, go again. May I be peaceful, may I be safe, may I be... And you do that two, three, four, five, six rings just for yourself. And then go to, may all beings be peaceful. And then when you observe over a month or two or three that that negative self-talk has declined, you have more of an interest in seeing yourself be well, you don't have that negative hostility in the mind directed toward yourself, then you might modify your meditation where it becomes, may I be peaceful, may we be peaceful, may my family be peaceful, may my coworkers and other people, you might create these successive rings. That's what I'm going to be doing in the future classes in this four-part series is each time we do meditation together, I will do this in a different way in terms of the rings to give you guys a flavor of what type of meditations you can construct for yourself. I'll give you guys some different examples so that you can see these kind of things. But if you're doing your homework, which is incorporating this into your meditation practice from Wednesday to Wednesday, then you'll get really proficient with this one. And then next Wednesday, I'll show you the same exact structure of meditation, but I'll add some different rings. So you've got to cultivate 
loving kindness for yourself first. You can't have loving kindness for everyone else in the world, but yet have hatred for yourself. It just doesn't work that way. It's not going to ever fully permeate in the mind if you have loving kindness for everyone else, but you have hatred for yourself. You can't get to enlightenment that way if you're harboring hatred towards yourself. Well, so it's uh, kind of developing, cultivating loving kindness to all beings, including this being, which is called Basin or Nick or whoever, which does not go against the third universal truth of uh, non-self. Right, you're cultivating this loving kindness for this being that we call Basim, or in my case, this being that we call David. We sometimes use this word I, even though we understand the universal truth of non-self, and you'll get more and more understanding of what that is over the course of this program. The English language and any other language that I know of is incapable of fully describing what actually exists. So what really actually exists is this bag of skin with bones, fluid, tissue, and this mind that's kind of controlling all of this in terms of the wisdom that's there. And then there's this brain that essentially controls this bag of skin with bones and fluid and tissue. So this I that we use here, we use these words fully knowing in the mind that there is no I here. There is no permanent self. But because the language is unfitting to really explain what's truly going on, then we have to use certain words like I or David or things like this in order to ensure that we're directing our focus in the right direction. But language is incapable of fully explaining what really is existing, which is essentially this physical body and this mind that has come together for this unique existence. So there's going to be still situations where you need to use the word I, but if your mind is speaking the word I, but it deeply understands that this physical body in this mind is not me, then you can still eradicate the personal existence view, realizing non-self while still using the word I. Well, has a question. Yes, Thanks, Basam. Teacher David, when someone is approaching loving-kindness meditation and having regular sits, applying this meditation, um, there may be times when this can unearth a lot of emotion within a being, and it could tap into maybe very um, um, deeply rooted uh, emotions. So that could that could present itself by just becoming weepy or just becoming um, emotional again, and it and it can happen without without an understanding. And it may just be being elicited just by applying the technique and understanding that compassion begins with the self first. Um, what do you recommend in terms of how to? how to work around this and should that emotion be fully experienced to revert back to the circles and um, let that go um, let the emotions go what should what should a person do if you experience any kind of crying or weeping or sensitivity or even anger hostility arising while you're doing loving kindness meditation it's important to understand that the problem 
isn't the weeping or the crying or the resentment or the anger that's arising in meditation. That's not the problem. That's actually a symptom of the problem. The real problem is the craving, desire, attachment that the mind is holding on over the course of your life. You've essentially sweep the dust under the carpet and you've covered up all that anger or that hatred or that sadness or despair, whatever is in there that's being tapped into. That's the real problem is that you've swept everything under the carpet and the mind is now holding on to it. The fact that the meditation has kind of triggered some of these emotions to come up in the mind, to me, that's actually a really good thing. Because in the past where the mind didn't deal with this properly and it was just buried and it was swept under the carpet and now it's keeping the mind in the unenlightened state by the meditation kind of pulling back the carpet and allowing the dust to kind of fly up in the air. Now you can clear it out once and for all and experience this feelings that you may need to feel in order to clear them out once and for all that you won't sweep them back under the carpet anymore. So there's situations where you're going to need to experience the things that you didn't experience before, that you just buried it, that you put it under the carpet. And now with this new way of life, this better way of life, when those feelings start to arise and you start to realize that that anger, that sadness is because of these cravings over here. Now the mind is going to experience that in a completely different way instead of just burying it and pushing people away and trying to move people out of your life with aversion. If you're sitting there in meditation and the mind becomes sad or angered, this can be confirmation for you that you are indeed causing your own anger, your own frustration, your own sadness, because there's nobody else around. It's just you. So you're causing it because of the craving, desire, attachment. Again, not to feel guilty. You're not at fault. You haven't done anything wrong. This is just what the unenlightened mind does. So if you experience the arising of any unwelcomed feelings during this meditation or afterwards, then revert to your practice of understanding that this is actually good for the mind. You need to cut those off, let them go, completely clear them out of the mind so that the mind no longer holds on to them. By cutting it off and letting it go, you can once and for all get rid of these unwelcomed feelings and emotions, work on eliminating the craving, desire, attachments that are causing this discontentedness to arise because that's the real problem. The craving, desire, attachment is the real problem. The sadness, the crying, the grief, the despair, this is all a symptom. This isn't the actual problem. So when you understand that and you go back to the core problem, which is the craving, desire, attachment, then you can uproot that and you can clear this out and get rid of it once and for all, no longer sweeping the dust under the carpet. Thank you for walking through that. Yes, you're welcome. Well, no more questions for that Okay, so what I'll do then is I'll just invite you guys to join for meditation, just like we've been doing in our previous sessions. With loving kindness meditation, we do this either seated, standing, or lying. We typically don't do this in the walking position. So take your position, whatever that is. Oftentimes it's seated. So you might be on the floor or you might be in a chair. If you're on the floor, you probably would like to put some cushions under your rear in order to get your rear up in the air, 
which lessens the angle at your hips, your knees, and your ankles, making it more comfortable for you during meditation. You shouldn't experience any pain during meditation. If at any point you feel any pain, just shift the body and move it to a different position so that that pain is remedied. Because it's really hard to cultivate loving kindness in the mind if all you feel is pain, 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 pain. So get the body into a comfortable position, not luxurious and not completely uptight and rigid either. So you you would like to be comfortable, not luxurious where the mind becomes inactive and unattentive, but not so uptight and so rigid that there's all this pressure and stress in the mind. So find this comfortable position. If you're in a chair, it might just be having your feet flat on the floor or crossed at the ankles. It's totally up to you. Everybody takes a different position. It's not about everybody doing it exactly the same way. It's about finding what's comfortable for you. Once your lower body is comfortable and in position, your hands and arms should also be comfortable, either in your lap, with your palms on your thighs, on your knees, maybe your arms are on the armrest of a chair if you're in a chair. The Buddha placed his right hand on top of his left with his thumbs together. That then goes into your lap. If that feels comfortable for you, use it. But if it doesn't, then just use another position where essentially your hands and arms are completely disengaged and the muscles aren't engaged and they're just completely relaxed. So the lower body and the arms and hands should be like they almost don't even exist. The upper body, the spine should be erect. You would like to keep some erectness in the spine, upright with the spine. This is going to keep the mind attentive and alert so that we can actively train the mind during meditation. This is important because meditation should be active. It shouldn't be to relax the mind or put the mind to sleep or calm the mind. It should be to actively train the mind. Meditation is real work. So in order to keep the mind attentive and alert, we would like to keep that spine upright and attentive so that we can then access the mind, keeping it alert and attentive. I talked about this in our previous four-part series as pleasing the employees so that we can get to the boss. The boss is the mind. The employees are the body or the employee is the body. So by keeping the employee, the body, in a comfortable position, not luxurious, because if the employee is too luxurious, they're not going to be interested to take us to see the boss. But also if they're too uptight or too pressured, The employees aren't going to want to take us to go see the boss. So we'd like the employees to be comfortable so that we can go see the boss, which is the mind. So keeping the spine erect, we then are able to keep the mind attentive and alert. Next, just close the eyes. Start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. This is our breathing mindfulness meditation that we're going to start with. Everything's going to start the same way as our previous sessions. And then I'm going to do loving kindness afterwards. So just breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Nice, gradual, steady breath. Breathing in. and out. Mm. 
Breathing in, experiencing the full breath. And out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily match to the guidance that I'm sharing. This is just to remind you to breathe in through the nose. And wherever you get to the out breath, breathe out through the nose. You're just establishing a nice natural breath here. Not forcing anything, not trying to control anything. Just a nice gradual breath, breathing in. and out. Start fixating the mind on the breath, the sound of the breath, or the sensation of air moving into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath. Breathing in, and out. Breathing in and out. I'm going to do some chanting now just to ease us into meditation and then I'll be back with some more guidance. Sawakato Sampo 
Iti piso meditation, focusing the mind on the breath, the present moment, breathing in, and out. Breathing in, should be observing the breath fixated on the sound of the breath or sensation of air moving into the nose this is the present moment whenever the mind is off the breath cut that off let it go and come back to the breath the present moment breathing in In, out. Breathing in. In, out. I'm going to let you sit with the breath for a while. Wherever you notice that the mind is not on the breath, just cut it off, let it go and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out.
Continuing to breathe in through the nose. Breathing in. And out. Whenever you get to the next out breath, repeat this affirmation in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May we be peaceful. May we be safe. May we be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. beings be free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Moving back to breathing mindfulness meditation. Breathing in. the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, breathing in and out.
to slowly make your way out of meditation we can open things up for questions if there's any questions you guys have now that we've done our first kind of introductory loving kindness meditation together go ahead and put those into facebook youtube or zoom or raise your hand electronically in zoom and our moderators will be sure your question gets asked from this point forward what I would suggest is that you continue with your breathing mindfulness meditation. And if you've been able to get that up to two or three sessions a day, make at least one of those where you're doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation together. If you only have been able to do one meditation session a day, then make that one breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness. But hopefully by this point, you've been able to build up to at least two or three per day, even if they're only 10 minutes, even if they're 15 or 20 minutes, then maybe what you do is just do kind of two or three minutes of breathing mindfulness, 
with loving kindness and then two or three minutes of breathing mindfulness. I think what you'll find is if you've been having challenges focusing on the breath during breathing mindfulness meditation, this style of meditation with loving kindness will actually make it a bit easier for you because you've got this affirmation to focus the mind on during meditation. So you might actually notice that your meditation session will get elongated now that you're comfortable maybe doing 10, 15, 20 minutes of breathing mindfulness. When you insert loving kindness into it, you might actually be out to about 30 minutes or more per session. But you'll have to see how that goes over the coming week. If you would like to just focus on this simple version of loving kindness meditation, you can do that. And then each week from here on out, we will focus on introducing more and more aspects of how you can organize these rings so that you can expand and deepen your loving kindness meditation. So let's go ahead and open up to any questions that you guys have. You can use Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, and you can raise your hand electronically if you'd like to ask a question that way. Well, why in addition, the guidance you provide, you, you guide us to make the grip uncontrolled. So the question is, is there any harm for practitioners to try to make the breath larger, longer, while the Yes, you can elongate your breath without controlling it. What you would like to get to is a natural breath where you're not forcing it or controlling it, but you're just gradually breathing in through the nose and gradually breathing out through the nose. Because just like other things in life, what the unenlightened mind is going to want to do is the unenlightened mind wants to control things. It wants to control the people in our lives. It wants to control the situations in our lives. And it's not possible because everybody's operating on free will decisions. And there's all this impermanence that's happening around us. And the unenlightened mind thinks if it could control these outside things, people and situations and different things, that it can somehow get some peacefulness. But it's impossible to control these things. So what you're doing is you're working to not control the breath. You're not forcing the breath. You're not controlling it, but instead you're just going to a nice natural inhale, just breathing in in out. Just a nice natural breath without trying to force it or control it. Well, I have a question in general about meditation. Uh, which one of these two practices is the right one? A being mindful of everything that surrounds the body, being able to hear any sound, anybody who's moving as a kind of practicing of mindfulness, or that the concentration or focus will be totally, completely on the breath. The second one, focusing the mind completely on the breath, because the mind's going to want to go and hear things. It's going to want to see things. It's going to want to think of things. The mind's going to want to wander through these six sense bases of the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, the body, and the mind. It's going to want to roam and wander. It's not going to want to be on the breath. It's The unenlightened mind's going to want to be anywhere but the breath. It's not going to be content and peaceful to just focus on the breath. So as the mind's wandering and you notice that, you cut it off, let it go, and bring the mind back to the breath. There's this little story that if you go out into like a remote temple in Thailand, out in the 
remote regions, the rural regions of the country, and you're at a temple, and the temples are kind of open-air temples, and you're meditating, and it's kind of getting towards the end of the night, and the person who's guiding you in the meditation kind of leaves you for that time by yourself, and then while you're meditating, you're hearing the cicadas, you're hearing the sounds of the insects, you're hearing the mosquitoes, and all these different noises permeating in the woods. Then after the meditation, the meditation teacher says, okay, how did that meditation go for you? And a student speaks up and says, oh, I had a really hard time meditating because the insects were bothering me. The sound was bothering me. I couldn't meditate. And the teacher says, was the sound bothering you or were you bothering the sound? Right. Because the idea is, is that the sound wasn't doing anything. The sound is just the sound, but it's the mind going to the sound that it then becomes irritated. So by focusing on the breath, what you're doing is you're training the mind to restrain the mind and not wander through these six sense bases. And this is what you need to do in meditation. And then that carries over into your daily life to ultimately eliminate that fetter of central desire, that fourth fetter. We're not at the point where you guys are ready to eliminate any of these fetters necessarily, but this practice is all building on itself. And it's built in such a way that the Buddha laid this foundation and it's building you piece by piece to get to the point where you can eliminate those 10 fetters. So if you're in breathing mindfulness meditation and you're allowing the mind to wander through all these six sense bases, then you're not really doing what's intended during the meditation, which is cutting that stuff off, letting it go and focus on the breath, training the mind to reside peaceful and content with joy, just focus on the breath and only the breath. Many thanks, teacher. Seems that uh, these are all the questions we have today. Okay. So on Wednesday next week, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation again. I'll just give you guys a brief little recap of what loving kindness meditation is. And then we'll do our breathing mindfulness meditation, go into loving kindness meditation, and then more breathing mindfulness meditation at the end. And we'll expand the loving kindness meditation more and more. Today was just a real simple version, just three phrases. We'll actually build up to where we're doing six or eight phrases in our loving kindness meditation. And you'll see different variations of this throughout the series of classes. But ultimately what you would like to get to is where you're customizing this meditation based on your specific needs, based on wherever the anger, hatred, and ill will resides in your mind, whether it's with you, certain people around you, certain groups of people around you. This is where you get creative with your meditation and with mindfulness, with awareness of mind of where your anger, hatred, ill will resides, wherever the mind's dwelling in that ill will for whatever groups of people or whatever person, you include them as a ring in your meditation. So I'll show you as we go in these classes how you expand these rings and add to these rings. On Sunday in our group learning program, we're going to be in chapter two, which is why study Gautama Buddha's teachings. It's probably a good idea for you to read that chapter before class or after or maybe before and after class. We're going to be having a group discussion where we're going to be discussing and having you have the ability to share why have you chosen to 
learn and reflect and practice the Buddhist teachings. And you'll hear from other students as well. And maybe even some of the students who've been practicing for a while will even be able to share some of their experiences as a result of having been learning and practicing the Buddhist teachings as well. So I'll see you either this Sunday in class or maybe next Wednesday in the loving kindness meditation class. Until then, have a very lovely rest of your day. Continue to meditate and we'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.